Welcome to Alchemy Uncensored, a podcast presented by Alchemy Search, a team of professional financial and tax recruiters. Our podcast is dedicated to providing valuable insights into the financial and tax sector of the UE by discussing the challenges and opportunities faced by employers and job seekers. Alchemy Uncensored is the perfect podcast for those looking to gain a competitive edge in the finance, accounting and tax industry of the UE. Stay informed on the latest job market trends, developments and conversations to stay ahead of the game. Tune into our podcast to be part of this insightful conversation. I'm Lewis Elsey, the Specialist Accountancy and Finance Recruiter, Alchemy Search. Today we have the pleasure of being joined by Daryl Edom. Daryl is the CFO for PJP Investment Group. PJP is the master franchisee for Papa John's in the UAE, KSA and Jordan with 110 trading restaurants. Next year, we'll see further expansion with the opening of Iraq and 650 locations in India over a 10-year period. Originally from Leeds in the UK, Daryl is ACMA qualified and has worked across consumer, retail and F&B with companies such as Scottish and Newcastle, Monsoon and Manor Bakeries. Daryl is a commercially focused CFO who believes finance should not be known as bean counters, but business partners and advisors to drive profitability and better understanding of the business. So Daryl, thanks for coming. This will be my uh, first Alchemy podcast, but this is uh, one of many that we've done so far. So uh, looking forward to this one. How has your summer been? Have you managed to escape Dubai? Or? No, we didn't escape. Unfortunately, we, uh, we was moving house. We got the dreaded landlord notice. Uh, so I spent the, the time of the summer moving house um, and my wife started a new job. So she's a teacher. So she was back in, in early August as well. So we uh, just had a chill time unpacking and sorting out things in the, in the new house and stuff. So yeah, it's been, it's been relaxing, but uh, yeah. time, to, time to find some work now. <laughs> Rumour, a lot of time spent on the golf course. Allegedly. Sweating on a lot of Allegedly. golf course, yes. I want to apologise on behalf of my colleague Jeff, who I think you uh, told him how to play golf at the weekend can you confirm that was the case how did you get on yeah I mean uh, so myself and Connor against uh, played against Jeff and uh, a guy from Virtzone yeah and uh, we won quite easily in the end I think we we let them think they were getting back into it with about a couple of holes to go um, but I just sunk a, a 20 foot put over three different hills um, <laughs> on, on the last to, to secure it for us so rumour yeah Jeff was nowhere to be seen after the match I've heard so uh, uh, yeah I believe he was organising games night that was his excuse and they, um, he had to leave quickly <laughs> yeah okay well uh, yeah he hasn't stopped going on about it in the office so uh, I think he wants to rematch at some point <laughs> soon uh, but anyway thank you for, for coming um I think it'd be useful to start obviously being a recruiter um, a lot of people want to move to the UAE yeah. uh, and Saudi as well uh, you've been here 10 years in the Middle East just over so yeah. I think it'd be useful to really start just to understand how you made your, made your move here what that journey looked like because 10 years ago may be quite different but I think it'd be useful for the listeners just to hear that yeah. that journey how you did move to, uh, to the Middle East No I'd been in, in the UK and, and obviously done all my my CMA qualifying across you know different companies I've always been someone who stayed quite a long time in, in companies so with Scottish Newcastle I worked across 
five or six different roles, um, from a management accountant to you know senior roles within Scottish Newcastle, from a regional office to a business small business unit to the head office. So I gained quite a good exposure across all all elements uh, over six or seven years there. Same when I was in um, Manor Bakeries, they were just you know different roles. So I got that exposure across different expertise areas. So that was in you know the commercial side, where that was in the operational side, in the logistics side as well, just to try and get that rounded experience. Um, and moving to Monsoon, so I got me my first real international exposure. Obviously, it was a you know UK-based brand with, at the time, it had half a dozen subsidiaries and about 50 or 60 franchise partners across across the world. Uh, so being that exposure of seeing that international business, going out and visiting them, doing audits and things like that for them um, was something really interesting. And, you know, as me and my wife, we got together, we, we always said she'd worked abroad pre-student and post-student in different places and I think she always wanted to carry on going and I sort of got the bug as well um, I wouldn't say Saudi was top of my list yeah. of, of, of those places in the first place but the role came up and you know Alok Air um, are one of the biggest organisations in, in Saudi in Riyadh you know, at the time they had something like 85 fashion retail brands um, across around 18 different countries to go in and, and set up their whole forecasting planning and, and commercial section was something really, really interesting. You know, they were on a huge journey at the time as well to to grow uh, and get to a billion uh, real EBITDA targets over a five-year period. <laughs> and it was just something that when I met with the, the team from Alokay came over to London they hired out Soho Hotel and for a couple of days they were doing back-to-back -back interviews um, I, I liked what I saw and, you know me and my wife discussed it and thought like, we'll try it for a couple of years and I think that's what if you speak to many expats who, are, who I've known here, they say they've come for two years or you've come for mm -hmm. three years um, and they just get the bug and there's something that from a living style, from a, the working, from an exposure perspective. If I look back, the exposure I had when I was in uh, Allocare, if I'd have been in a similar size organisation in, in, in London, for example, they have a function that does everything and you get a little bit pigeonholed sometimes. Where I think here there's a little bit more of an open um, category where people get to get involved in, mm. in more things than what they say their job description does for, for want of a better thing. And that's, that's where I you know, got involved in M&A you know, several times, which is something I know in the UK I'd never have had the chance to do. So I actually added more and more value to to what I was doing and, and learning within that in that time. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Saudi's quite was difficult, especially back in in two thousand and twelve. Things were just starting to change, um, and now obviously it's a lot different. Even even now, and I, I still go back quite regular with the restaurants we have with, with Papa John's and and with my previous place. And you can see the changes how you know the country is evolving, how it want you know wants to. Mm -hmm incite people to come and work in that country and the people you meet and the people you get involved with are you know so nice to work with and they you know the, the pleasure they feel on that you're coming to their you know country mm -hmm. if you like and, and working um and I, I i loved the time i was there you know we did three years and it was time to to mm -hmm. move on yeah um was UAE always on the cards, or was it see how Saudi goes and then go from there? It, it was see how Saudi goes, and you know, as I said, we, we did go with a plan of two years. Mm. You know, 
12 years ago we put our house in in storage and we've been paying for those bits of storage for the last monthly, 12 years monthly uh, storage fees coming through yeah. for 12 years so it's it's just uh, you know we, we I think we both me and my wife lived it you know going out into the desert going doing different things that you you know you didn't get a chance to do when we sat mm. in London um, I've always got this picture of on uh, one Christmas we went camping in the desert and there was a group um, it was called the Hash Harriers and they used to go walking in the in the desert basically on mm. or some people would run up and down the hills yeah. and stuff and I always remember just had this barbecue they had a dance floor and uh, it was a Christmas time part you know I think it was just sit back and just thinking of, of that sunset and everything it was just a great experience that but it was surreal compared to the traditional UK Christmas of exactly like yeah. sitting around the TV yeah and being out and seeing stuff and uh, it was something I really really enjoyed and when we you know when we decided that it was time to move on from Saudi it, it was a case of anywhere but going back to the UK so was looking whether it was here whether it was in you know far east caribbean mm -hmm. and that we'd sort of got the expat bug mm -hmm. yeah and now how did you make that move did you how did you get that next role how easy was that because 10 years ago i imagine it was i'm assuming it was a bit easier than now but it'd be interesting to hear how that came about um i, I was i was quite lucky at the time I, it was through a um, recruitment guy who was who was based here in uh, in dubai the company was going through a sim was a effectively a startup but was um, also listed on, mm. on the stock market here um, and it was a F&B and retail so something I'd done in our care they were looking at big expansions through mergers and acquisitions mm. so again something that um, I, I ticked off on, on my CV that was there and it was a great opportunity for to come into a, a new organisation, help again to to set it up and uh, and get going. I think it's one of the things I actually love doing is that problem solving and setting up and getting mm. things things working. Um, and it was just a great challenge to to come see how I could do it and you know watch a business grow from half mm. a dozen stores to whatever mm -hmm. the target would be for that. Yeah, and then did you move from there to, to I, yeah? To where I, mean, you are I, now? I did. I had a couple of roll in between with. Goldmay Gulf is again another mm. F&B place. I was, Goldmay Gulf was my first sort of 100% F&B business okay. where I'd done a mixture of F&B and retail in the sort of previous two or three roles. Um, this was my first pure F&B. It was in the casual dining sector. So a little bit different. Um, with a great team again going through a bit of an expansion um, and grow some great brands to, to work and it was a great team and I actually learned a lot particularly from a, a food perspective from my, my CEO at the, the time who you know was really keen that everybody understood the recipes understood how the food should taste how the food should look and you know if you was to go with your family or friends that if there's something wrong that you know you, you're approaching and discussing this with, mm -hmm. with the teams and it's something that from there I've always taken forward into into my current role as well mm. I think one thing that is quite interesting and one of the things that I noticed having moved and recruited in this market is a lot of the hiring is often one of the requirements <coughs> is is industry experience and that's something that having engaged with you before you was quite open to some similar industries you yeah. wasn't almost tunnel visioned into you must come into yeah. x industry what, what do you think about that and how has that hindered or or helped you when you're with your hiring uh, 
Um, in, from, in from a personal perspective, I yeah. about you know I, I've struggled in the past because I you know you get, you get pigeonholed as someone in in retail. Mm. So my last role in the UK was retail. My role in last role in Saudi was ninety percent retail, ten percent F and B. And so for some reason, senior people, you've got to have that experience in mm. in that role. Now, yes, it can add, add value at, at certain levels, but. You know, if you're operational or a marketing function, maybe yes. But from a finance bit, especially in the commercial element, numbers are numbers, if you mm. like. And um, it was a candidate I was interviewing who recently and said, whether it's a you know a perfume or a, a pizza, the thought process of how you'd cost mm. something, how you'd analyse something, is very very similar. Um, and that's that's what I've been trying to look for when I've been recruiting. Is do mm. they have that? vision to see and, and understand yeah, some people can grasp it some can so can you understand can they grasp a change of industry and and take it down to that mm. granular level in a different way yeah it's definitely one of the biggest frustrations that i think candidates experience yeah. um and i don't know if there's a solution to it as such because i think it's very dependent on the the hiring manager at the time and their expectations or the way they see things but having seen examples of where if you do change the industry slightly it's as a recruiter i can now have an example or a case study and say well i actually worked with x person who actually did consider other industries they wasn't tunnel visioned into just the industry as such and they hired someone and this is the benefit because i think that's the challenge it's so easy just to say i'm a construction company i'm going to recruit someone from construction but that is definitely one of the biggest bugbearers of people in this part of i I agree and i think you know for for me across having personally worked across you know consumer across retail and and because of of heaven be over over my time i i see the similarities you know particularly from a finance perspective um, I carry on, you know, the farmer and the, the tech industries and the, the um, you know, construction side. But I, I, bringing someone in who's got that little bit of different thought process actually sometimes adds significant amount of value because they can maybe look at something in a, in a different way to that you're not normally used to thinking about. And that's that's the challenge that you know I like to put into into my team. Yeah, as well. and that's one bit of advice I do give to candidates that are sometimes struggling. I say to them, realistically, if you've worked in fintech. In majority of cases, you're not going to get a job in construction. But are there any industries which are similar or are there industries where the business model is the same? For example, how they account for the revenue or whatever. And is that a way you can maybe expand your options rather than just ending up in, in one industry for your whole career, which can obviously be a frustration I mean when we first met something that really kind of struck a chord with me and I think being in the UK comparing the UK finance market and how finance works in the UK and and having you've been there yourself was the evolution of the finance function and we alluded to it in the Mm. intro it's not about being a bean counter anymore and that's something you're a big believer in so it'd be good just to hear a bit about that yeah. it, it's something that I, you know I, i've always believed and even something i go back back to the, my time in the uk where um coming from the uk to to the middle east in a way you took a little bit a step back in time in terms of what was happening from a technology perspective what was happening from how processes were were done that everything was paid on a bank transfer rather than you physically mm. having to write out you know 20 checks for a, a three or four year lease contract and things like that um, and for me it's about how do you make 
finance more interesting? How do you make the role that people want to do utilize better? There are the tools and the technology out there at the moment is is unbelievable and that it makes our lives easier and it helps us to make decisions. I think, you know, since COVID, everything and even leading that point up to, to COVID and then it happening, you had to learn to adapt quickly. And if you couldn't adapt, you, you didn't know where your next, if you could make your next pay payroll run for, for, for the teams who were there. You didn't know if you could pay your, your next rent checks. So having to make sure you can use those tools to really plan, think, uh, and use them to an advantage rather than just being there is, is something that I want to continue to push into my, my team at the moment. Mm. Yeah, what, what examples have you got? I remember when we met prior to this, you gave some examples about the value that using data mm. and the tools and efficiencies can bring and not necessarily adding lots of headcount maybe not great for, for those in recruitment but generally what what are you seeing like real life examples and value add that people so, can so we've worked through well, two or three major projects or in ongoing at the moment the first being rpa um so the you know the process is for for us being a an f&b business our key thing is cash whether that's cash that comes from an aggregator like talibat or someone who walks into one of our stores and, and pays cash or with a card so you're getting multiple multiple different sources and especially here with an, with an aggregators you've got I don't know 15 20 25 different places where you're trying to get the the cash and reconcile that in by and we have in the team now you know we have someone who who does that um, manually through an Excel so they'll download the bank statement they'll they'll download the statement from the the POS provider and they'll download the um, the the um, POS system and the and that and and match the two up and spend a lot of time where what value do, does that add because normally 80 90 percent of those transactions normally match simply you know but it's the five ten percent where then they're not having the time to really understand and, and investigate we're using something like an RPA it's doing all that bit and you're just left with the five or ten percent so then they can really spend time and understand why and how things could be happening and and making sure that it's not missed and how you get that that cash back in is, is one way we've doing you know we've move from a, a forecasting process as well you know forecasting is something that and budgeting is something i've been really keen and close to a, a lot of my career and in, in terms of developing tools and and improving that whether that was through cognos back in the uk and, uh, and different tools here so now to you know we was using excel mm-hmm. and that was great when we had one one country with 30 40 stores but now we're three countries mm-hmm. with 110 stores when you're trying to forecast 50 60 70 different expense lines and monthly sales whether they're through an aggregator and through a dining delivery or takeaway that excel spreadsheet is now just impossible to manage Mm. Um, version control becomes impossible you can't you know how many times do you have you opened an excel sheet and it just goes sorry it's an error and you've lost you know you've lost everything Um, by putting this into our into our forecasting system it's there it's done it gives you the ability to do some what-if scenarios. So, obviously, you know, going into a board meetings or budget reviews, you know, you've got to know what's going to happen if the board come back and go. Actually, we need five percent more in top line. Mm. But to do that in an Excel, to go through every store, add five percent, and do that, it takes it takes yeah. a long time. Where the tools we've developed, you hit the full year number and it adds five percent to it in five minutes, and you see, and everything else is recalculated based on that. So. 
that has helped us then to be more vigilant of right we're, we're sort of scenario planning of best case worst case what would happen what do we need in terms of extra cash you know this to plan our openings based on these two mm. or three best case worst case scenarios yeah it's quite refreshing to hear that approach um but i'd definitely be interested to see over the coming years if every business maybe adopts that approach and becomes more mature because I get inundated for example yeah. with, with candidates in the UK who are in like FP&A roles and I think the difficulty that they have is how many FP&A roles yeah. are there in this part of the world everyone wants to either work in FP&A or come out or we, what we see often is people in audit who want to go into FP&A or someone who's in FP&A but the challenge is there's not that many yeah. roles out there and I don't know if that's going to change because because I think certain industries and certain companies still adopt that maybe bean counter mentality yeah. and finance is just back office. Like, is that going to change, do you think? Because you've been here longer than me, but... I think it is changing. I think it's, cha it's slowly, slowly changing. You know, that people now are seeing that different, you know, seeing that different, that finance teams can mm. add value through through the analysis, through understanding of what's going on. You know, people out here, you know, the teams and, you know, some of their family-owned businesses, mm. you like, which have grown, grown massive out here, you know, they need that support yeah. now. You you can run the business in, in the Middle East without looking at what's going on. The Middle East is, you know, it's, a, it's quite a volatile business, mm. you know, it changes, things happen, come and go. You know, we ha you have a lot of transiency with, with people coming and going it's just that the nature of this part of the world I think can be an, an expat so you, how do you control that how do you make people want to stay and mm. grow and learn more in, in, in their roles and I think FPA now is coming key to how businesses do that yeah. uh, there's a lot more scrutiny I think on on that with more you know, from an audit perspective and you know the SG and all these sort of things that are coming through at this moment in time it makes it a little bit more important that we're not just processing invoices yeah. um, and how do how do senior leaders look at their teams now and go actually we've got 40 people processing mm. invoices here how do we make that easier because mm. there's opportunities for cost and efficiency savings within all these areas yeah and i think with the constant scrutiny around cost right you've yeah. got to look at ways to be more efficient and yeah. be interesting to see how that plays out over the, the coming yeah. years for sure because only certain industries from what i can see really adopts that approach but it's quite refreshing to know that some Someone like yourself leading the finance team having that outlook is then obviously yeah. as a result that the guys in your team are, are definitely uh, a bit more forward thinking yeah i think it's you know we're a you know a fast moving business you know mm. as i say you know from a, a papa john's perspective we, we've grown massively mm. and we need to be on on the pulse of what is happening you know what happens if we do xyz and where where can we where's our risks in, in certain areas within that to to those development plans mm -hmm. so if we're not on if we don't have a team who is driving that agenda and really looking at how you can maintain costs how you can make sure that we're getting the right efficiencies from from labor in the stores how can you you know monitor food costs you know food costs in our businesses 25% of our total cost base you know so across 110 stores that's a huge huge number that to save half a percent or one percent that'll flow straight to the bottom line by understanding how you could better utilize those processes by looking at the data by taking the time to 
fully get into the understanding um, supporting the commercial teams in the promotional actives they do or the new product launches they want to do mm. to make sure you're getting the best return because uh, you know many of the you know owners that's that's their end goal out here is yeah. is, is returns so finance is definitely evolving yeah as a result those that are looking for work need to evolve themselves need to upskill i think the market is so competitive <laughs> especially in this part of yeah. the world what skills do you think those in finance whether they're at the beginning of their career or, or whatever stage what's important yeah. skills wise that they need to really hone in on to remain current and relevant i think one you've got to be understand what the technologies are out there you know to see what technologies you could go into interview and they're using these so you've got to be up to date with what kind of a technology out there whether that is rpa whether that's ai in terms of a forecasting tools um, and all these things that can really help and two you've got to be inquisitive now you've got to be the one asking the questions and not be stuck behind your desk as a finance person um you know, as a finance guy who is supporting the business, how can you understand how an operational side works if you sit behind your desk? You you have got to be really close with those operational teams, whether that's the ops teams in the restaurants, whether that's a, a marketing perspective, so you understand their thought process. Um, there's a, for me, that's that's the challenge I make and I want to change in our team is how do we get you out more to understand the business? Because if you understand the business more, you can add value to, to the relevant teams and mm. see where issues are. Um, it's asking questions. You know, don't be afraid to ask questions and, and raise queries of why something is being done. Because just because it's been done, uh, and I think that's one thing that I would say sometimes is things happen and they just continue in this part of the region mm -hmm. for the same thing. It's about challenging the status quo for yeah, one yeah. of a better way of why are we doing something in this way? Um, during my trade meeting, my favorite question is just why? Uh, make people think of mm. why are we doing something like this? What, what would be the impact? Of, of doing this uh, you know and, and so what if we're doing that what, what does that mean what value does that have so and if you can think and challenge and be open to open your mind a little bit you know I guess finance can sometimes be seen as the, the gatekeepers as well as the bean counters yeah. Um, yeah, and a very risk averse type mm -hmm. scenario um, yeah, and sometimes you have to be you know, I'm not saying that being from a risk versus is wrong but you've you got to be open to the balance of why you might be doing something um, are you doing something to, to generate brand awareness are you doing something to generate cash are you doing something to generate profitability so there's different ways of how you know, particularly from a marketing and ops perspective they may be thinking of why they want to make only one or two percent from us something where finance go no our threshold is five we're not doing it or threshold is ten we're not doing it but there's no thought of why they might be doing that so that real understanding of why something is is happening for me is is key to it yeah and i suppose that inquisitive nature i imagine during an interview process you can try and decipher yeah through the the individual are they asking questions how can you decipher that maybe in an interview how do you go about recruiting and what do you look out for for me it's um my key thing is is, is all about cultural fit within our organization um 
we're as I say we're fast moving so if someone is coming has got to come and be be have that energy um and really want to learn and, and develop and to be in an organization that's going has gone from you know grown humanly over the last three or four years but knowing where our our plans are going how can they adapt to that same thing to to move even quicker but with the accuracy with the the conscience that everything's going to write from a, an audit statutory and all that side of perspective is is fully complied with um but to understand and be able to challenge and you can you know i, I don't know how you can explain that I, I guess it's a gut feeling yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a really hard thing and uh, maybe my hr team don't like me for having gut <laughs> feelings about stuff but, yeah i mean it, yeah receiving some feedback on an interview just a gut feeling <laughs> might, uh, might be an interesting yeah. one but no i i agree how, how yeah it's difficult to really culture fit is such a yeah hot topic when recruiting yeah. and it's always some people I think find that the answer culture fit as a bit of a cop out yeah. answer but I do understand yeah. that every business has a certain culture and you can often gauge just by an interaction with yeah. someone do they or do they don't yeah. fit and I think one of the things I, I've, I've learned over my last couple of, uh, of recruitments is actually taking people out of that interview process if you like you mm. know so meeting them in a non-interview so in a different environment mm. so I recruited a it was a non-finance role so I have been responding at leasing and I actually walked around JBR with the two potential leasing candidates to look at what I was telling was mm. was pretend was locations that we were potentially looking at and to give me their feedback to see mm. you know and you're, I was walking up on JBR well an hour and a bit with both persons so you yeah, just yeah. get that a different relaxed feeling uh, I had a similar situation I guess with the with the finance candidate yeah. we've just done it you know meeting outside of um, the office in a different you know, just over a coffee and a chat just to to see that different um, how they react in a more relaxed because everyone knows an interview is not a real yeah. a real life situation so maybe taking them out of that situation also gives you a little bit of better feel of how they would react when they were put under a little bit of pressure yeah I do find that interesting when there's been instances like you say you take them out in a different environment and you see almost like a different person yeah. and you're like oh okay there's something that happened is that not quite right or of alarm bells but I suppose it's difficult when you're recruiting you've got someone in a role yeah. how much time can you take of, of their time if they're working they've got family but also yeah. you need the decision to be yeah. to be right and I think that's one of the problems here you know sometimes you do get these long long drawn out mm. 27 interview yeah. <laughs> processes which again I, I'm not a, you know a fan, I'm not a fan yeah. of that process because I think it's just unfair on the on the candidate and uh, if you're going over the same things so many times I, I don't see the, the benefit in in some of those you know that yeah. two or three stages I think is is good as long as they're meeting the right people to help you in that decision making process I think you can definitely amalgamate some of the stages yeah. like you say bring HR in or yeah I've been involved in some some drawn out processes it can be frustrating for candidates I think they just lose momentum as yeah. well and I do think that 
one thing that is really important is how well the recruitment process is run because I do think that people don't realise that's your first interaction as a candidate. Yeah. I'm sure you've been in processes where oh, I don't quite like that or I've not heard back for a while and then it puts you off a bit and you're thinking yeah, yeah. maybe this is a sign that this isn't for me. I'm still waiting to hear I didn't get the job from four years ago. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> it's crazy, yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely uh, not the way that recruitment no. process should be run. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, so, I mean, the Papa John's story, a lot of people will be quite familiar with the brand, I'm sure. But quite interesting how that business has evolved over for recent years. So it'd be good just to hear a bit about where you were, where you are now, and, and where you're going. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so I've been in there since uh, 1st of May 2019. So um, we're 100% owned by a private equity company here. So they, acquired, they previously had 49% and took a, the remaining 51 in sort of March 19, um, removed the old owners, um, and so I came on board as their CFO, and you know, there was literally nothing really at the time because it was, you know, they had all the head office functions were were back in outside of out of Dubai. I had one accountant who sat in the back of one of the restaurants in there. We had mm -hmm. one IT guy who went around and HR, and then the the ops mm -hmm. the ops teams. Um, we had no office. Um, the ERP was about to be switched off. We had no POS system because it was the previous owner's thing. So You got sold the dream then when I, you joined. <laughs> as I said, it's something I, I loved the challenge. Yeah. And I knew this going into it. And I had no team. So um, it was a crazy few months that when I started. It was around Ramadan as well. So um, we didn't have an office. So I was interviewing in, in uh, the Kapinski Hotel, in the lobby in the Kapinski Hotel. <laughs> For, for candidates, for finance, for IT, uh, at the time, you know, walking the streets trying to find a, being on the Dubizzle trying to find an office space, yeah, yeah. Um, meeting with POS providers. The CEO at the time um, was still with his old company, but doing bits, so coming in and out and being okay. involved. So yeah. we was in close contact of what were, what was happening. Uh, he officially didn't come on board till uh, till about the August time, but was always you know in touch and, and part of the team as we was going forward. So it was about you know building that team, getting an office, getting the ERP up and running. Um, understanding the data that was being transferred across because it was it was quite difficult at, at the time so we had what, 43 trading restaurants at the time all in all in the ue, UAE yeah um uh, you know they and with the with the board coming in and we injections of cash to help us go through that development um so today in the ue we're 85 um so i, I think been, I had leasing as well, so mm -hmm. I'd, I'd done a list of leasing in the past. So I had a little, quite a broad remit to do that. So walking the streets, trying to find sites, mm -hmm. building up relationships with um, malls to try and find sites. So you know, opening ten to fifteen new locations a year is what we've done, um, and we just got everything nice and working. And then COVID hit. Um, we're just turning the corner, and we could see some good things. And then obviously, COVID hit. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it, it was tough. You know, we have quite a lot of dining restaurants oh, okay. in malls, and yeah. you know, people couldn't get in, in petrol stations. So people weren't out and about, so delivery took off. Um, obviously, with the aggregators, quite challenging to do. Mm -hmm. 
but as we came out of that, you know, we saw huge opportunity um, where I think in a period of three weeks, we signed six new sites. We came in out with an opportunity to say, well, actually, we know this is going to turn around, so let's actually get our foot in the door. There was potential, and yes, you might be in the expense of, unfortunately, people who had businesses had failed, and there's malls that were looking to fill spaces. Mm. And we took some advantage of some great opportunities to grow. At the same time, um, because of the work, and our CEO, who's Big Tapan, who was... Um, great relationship with, with Papa John's International started talking about Saudi Arabia um, so that process of a brand new company mm. set up uh, came into play at the same time as well so towards the end of sort of um, 2020 beginning of 2021 so it was all into expansion into to Saudi without st slowing down um, the UAE. Mm -hmm. So Saudi, we're up to 20 locations now in in 18 months. And then Jordan came on. Um, so we opened Jordan um, in February this year. So mm -hmm. we opened four locations on, on one day in Jordan, which is really, really good. It's been a great start. Mm -hmm. I'll open a couple more. So and I got seven in Jordan, 20 in um, in Saudi, 85 here, and we'll continue to open. I think mm -hmm. we've got about another eight to ten planned for the rest of this year. And then, obviously, um, because of the relationship and the work we've done with with some of the things, the the opportunity for India came. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, India is a crazy, yeah, crazy size market yeah. uh, where you know Papa John's had existed in the past and, and exited and um, so Pizza Hut and Domino's were obviously our major competitors um, have hundreds of, of stores already so mm. it's a huge challenge for us now to develop 650 stores over the over the next 10 years in in india that's just india 650. and that's just 650 stores in in india over the next 10 years um as well as iraq where we'll probably end up doing something like 15 to 20 over the next five years mm. as well as continuing our, our saudi you know saudi's such a huge huge f&b market mm. um and we're very you know we're pretty under, underrepresented at, at the moment we 20 stores so we you know, we're targeting to have 250 stores in in saudi over over the next five to, to seven years as well so we're, we're looking at you know business with thousand plus stores in in five to eight years time mm -hmm. um so it's always something fun to go on and and we'll never you know there's nothing saying that we won't pick up other countries and, and that during that time as well as we continue to look and, and expand and, and develop it's a mm. it's a good fun brand um you know where uh, not just me both himself and, and tapan and ceo um are very tech driven so we have ai in our restaurants mm. checking that the pizzas are as per they, they should oh, be really? as a standard thing so yeah. it's something we don't you know we've looked at the old delivery robots and all these sort of things to make the uh, you know the business different um it must be difficult to compete for example when you go looking at the india growth right yeah. you've got your two big competitors are already there how do you enter that market and stand out and make sure it obviously yeah. works out is it via differentiating yourself with tech like what, what is the approach? so uh, you know i think for for india it's a little bit different it's all around you know the quality um and we're still you know our, our motto and you know we we had a huge equity campaign that i think everybody probably saw if you drove down shakeside road or it was in jlt or on on, on the charger college she had huge it's not you know good on radio so we did a huge huge campaigns about our you know brand quality you know that we you know, 
fresh doughs, um, you know, fresh ingredients, fresh, you know, the better quality ingredients, mm. better pizza. And, and that's, that's what we wanted to get out there. And that's how we've, you know, really been pushing the brand over the last you know, six, seven months to get into that space. So India will be challenging. Um, Obviously, just from a pricing perspective mm. as well, um, of where Domino's and, and Pizza sit from that pricing. So, a lot of work going on in the backseat from a, a supply chain perspective. Mm. So, how do we, you know, find the local suppliers that keep that quality for us? We've done a few market blind testing, market researches with, with consumers out there mm. with with the support of a of Papa John's International as well, um, and we've come out good on all, you know, the, the taste and the qualities what people want. So we've now just got to work on how can we make that happen mm. um, and finding the right partners to, to help us get forward. Must be quite exciting working for a business with such a clear growth trajectory because I speak to people and sometimes we're having conversations. I've had one recently where a senior individual was a part of a business and there was clearly no plans to grow and as a result his personal growth was stagnated it must be quite exciting to know that there's clear growth you've got the support and and things are going to be moving forward yeah and i think that's something that's been great you know for everyone in the team as well you know we've seen um you know the fine everyone teams have grown as we've taken on as you know dubai is still like the central office for all these all these so you know we have small offices in saudi and small mm-hmm. office in in jordan but a lot of the work and you know senior level is is in is in mm-hmm. dubai um so the opportunity for people in the team whether that's across finance or it to get involved and, and see some of these is also also great exposure for them to be involved in in different decision making mm-hmm. um you know, and they might moan at me that I'm, we should have added more people into the team. But that's, you know, we. we, we I agree. <laughs> you need to add more people. <laughs> but it's that exposure they're getting now and seeing yeah. how things be, and to be excited about a brand and, and the place you work. You know, helps you get out of bed in the morning. I think it's such an easy sell for candidates, yeah. knowing that you can represent a business that's actually clearly looking to grow and actually backs it up it's not one of those situations oh they say they're going to grow and then the reality is they're not and it's such an easy sell because as an individual you are going to grow and everyone wants to be part of of something of this journey don't they yeah and it's great that we've been you know we've been recognized for it as well so we was we was at the papa john's international conference back in uh, easter time um, and we was recognized for our number of developments so we was of the whole papa john's Mm. global and we was this this company that opened the second most stores by three ahead by beaten by china Mm. So when you think of the size of, of of China as an opportunity compared to little old UAE, mm. um, it was you know it was great recognition. You know we was recognised as you know the franchisee of the year uh, by Papa John's as well from an international franchise perspective. Mm. So the work that we're doing is being recognised as well, and that's you know credit to all the teams across across the business from an ops perspective, from a marketing, and, and making sure that we stick by our, uh, our standards and our quality mm. wherever we go so the same quality pizza comes in the UAE comes in Saudi comes in in Jordan you know we don't mess about with anything like that yeah and I mean one thing that I find quite interesting and be interesting to hear your take is private equity owned people hear stories they hear about private equity there's no secret that this part of the world mm. a lot of money is being invested there's lots of opportunities here at the minute from your perspective, how has that been 
working for private equity owned business and, and what is the reality from from your side it was my first taste of, of private equity as well to, to come in it was something that i think had sort of been on my list that i wanted wanted to do whether i was in the uk and looked and it goes back to what you were saying earlier about I didn't have it, so I was never allowed to go work for a, <laughs> so a company. I'm okay that, to learn. I want to get yeah. the opportunity, but people don't want to give that a lot of time, yeah. do they? And you know, now I've been lucky to to come in and, and be involved with with Levant. The guy, yeah. So they're data driven, you know, and this comes back to mm. part of the reason why they, you know, they're data driven. Um, they want to understand where where the numbers are, where the business is going. They want to understand where the opportunities are, how we're improving that that bottom line returns. Mm. At the end of the day, their their long term goal is is to to exit from that and sell mm-hmm. that on and, and, and do it so it's got to be our goal as well to make sure that we as a business are delivering the best best mm-hmm. we can and, and going back to then from a finance perspective how do we make sure that they're adding the right value how do we make sure we're doing the right decisions and I imagine, like you say, if that data and that FP&A and the analysis and everything we've mentioned isn't in place, yeah. you probably have quite a tough time feeding to yeah. those uh, senior individuals and giving them the data because you probably don't have access no. to it. And, you know, and when we come to a, a, an exit, when there's a due diligence process, we've got to understand everything that has, has happened. You know, how you know keeping track and understanding and explaining someone through a due diligence process, different bits is is key. So understanding what's happened why putting together those you know long-term forecasts and long-term plans of, of where we're going and making sure that they're a place that you're then achieving them on a on a year-on-year basis that's that's where it becomes hard to understand and, and add that value to make sure that from a team perspective we're doing everything we can to to understand how we get better um, and that's been one of the this year's mantras i you know to be get better you know how do we get better yes it's clear that you've for you and and papa john's business you've got a clear next few years ahead of you you know where you're going i think that's really important for people to know that that's the journey you're on and now you can just just work towards that so it won't be smooth you know it goes ups and downs (laughs) but i think that's that's the excitement you know i i don't ever feel like it's going to be the same day yeah. you know twice in a, in a week never mind you know the morning and the afternoon are different there's always something that we need to think about um, I, I'm someone who likes to just you know keep challenging the, seeing what's going on how can we make something a little bit better how can we make something a little bit easier how do we communicate better with the teams and so it's, it's still an evolving we're not you know from a finance team we're nowhere near perfect but it's how can we get closer you know we're a small team um, you know compared to some of the organizations out out here yeah. in the bigger brands in these you know we're a very small team um and we work hard but we have a we make sure we have some good fun doing it yeah, good, good. it was very uh very interesting for sure we've got a few quick fire questions okay. obviously that's the the default <laughs> of every podcast <laughs> so your favorite restaurant in dubai what, what would that you, be besides my local papa john's you mean obviously papa john's <laughs> is number one i'm uh, a big um sushi japanese fan so yeah. yeah anywhere in particular or are you no going food, super or... high end no, where yeah, you I... pay a fortune no. and you're starving no. or <laughs> what are you going for uh, yo sushi what, what are you going uh, for yo sushi was my old brands i used to love yo sushi so my old companies were, was yo sushi so you know maybe a, i'm not quite into a, a bocca and no. <laughs> things like that but it's uh it's something i just like to try different places now and again 
So she, I imagine, because I know uh, you get pizza, don't you, in the office every yeah. week, and you probably get amazing discounts codes. So I'll have a word <laughs> with you off, so off flying gra- about we, that. We do great corporate discount deals if you want to orderise your lunches. Yeah, lovely. I'll speak to Connor about that for sure. Um, your favourite way to spend your weekend? Um, so my weekend is normally taxi service. Yeah, taking my son James to football, to golf, to to that. Um, as you mentioned earlier, I do try and play a bit of golf. Um, I think uh, you're understanding yourself because rumours are your handicaps. 18 is it that's very true yeah. but I've heard that, that yeah you, you play much better than that I think you're underselling yourself uh, inconsistency I think is, is where it is as I tried to explain to the guys on Saturday it's, a, it's inconsistency um, but no it's a, I, I had to get out and you know be, a, be quite active I think um, you know and, and see, see what's about you know we've been here a long time so in the past it was you're going so much to see and do here but I think you, you sort of tick them off you know, start ticking them off and going back and, and finding that it's a bit hot to go sit on the beach at the moment yeah. but uh, well, the weather's going to start getting good soon yeah. so I'm told still pretty warm in a minute yeah but, uh, it's still pretty warm <laughs> <laughs> what about your favourite visit country you visited oh, two I guess I guess I love Sri Lanka yeah. Yeah. I went this year to be fair it was good yeah, yeah I, you know we've been as a family a, a few times the different parts uh, yeah the food is fantastic you know the people sort of there's so much great culture and uh, and stuff to, to see out there when you yeah, we've been we did a train ride up from Colombo up to Kandy which is yeah. you know up through the mountains was, was perfect you know sit on the beaches and go uh, whale watching and things like that in a, in a right way and um, we, we lo- I love to dive Oh, so, really? and, and, and James me and James well, James did his um, open water when we was out in the, the Maldives last year so it was great actually taking him going diving just me and him together yeah, off the boat was, was something it's a surreal experience yeah. diving I, I, I loved it you know it's one of those things that you just feels in a different world you know sat watching these two manta rays just feeding for for 20 minutes was just you know really really nice relaxing or inspiring way to to spend an hour under the water sounds good and what would you be if you wasn't a cfo probably a professional golfer with everything that i was talking about at the moment (laughs) is that realistic come on (laughs) no no i could have been if i was being younger and carried on practicing but i don't know i I actually fell into accountancy as well. You know, it was one of those things that I fell into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what, you didn't grow up wanting to be an accountant? No, unfortunately oh, not. It, okay. was, it was one of those things that you just <laughs> happened to be. Yeah. I was always, I loved playing sport and rugby. I used to play a bit of rugby semi, you know, semi-freshly type stuff. So I think I'd love to have been in, involved in sport in, in somehow. Somewhere, yeah. um, I, I've done a bit of coaching when I was as well from that so it's that sort of bits I, I, I'd love to try and maybe do something like that something in sport yeah. either a professional sportsman yeah of some signed or yeah coach some, or coaching something help, sports yeah related. just something like that you know I, used, I love that active side to, to keep out and go and uh, it's not always easy here with the, with the weather and the temperatures but um, mm. it's still good fun Agreed. So thank you for, for coming. It's been really no, it's good, insightful. We have got a gift here oh. for you, which you may have seen. So uh, there's a few bits in there. So uh, we'll thank give that much. to you without hitting the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we hope the podcast provided you with some useful tips and advice. So we'll look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Thanks, Daryl. Thank you.